You're listening to episode 97 of the STEM Space. Today, I have the privilege of chatting with Hal Speed, who has a passion for promoting computer science, robotics, and artificial intelligence, among other technology concepts and skills, with the next generation of problem solvers. Tune in to hear about a new robot that you can try for free and how you can bring more tech skills to your students. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a special guest. It is Hal Speed. And I have a lot to talk to you about today about robotics, artificial intelligence, computer science, and how it all relates to education. But first, Hal, can you please tell us what you do? Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Hal Speed. And yes, that is my real name. Um, I'm the head of North America for Robotical. It's a Scottish-based robotics company focused on really pre-K through eighth grades. So, so trying to get younger students excited about computational thinking, coding, and robotics and, and making it fun um, so that we can get kids excited early. Uh, so as they go into middle and high school, you know, they have more opportunities to pursue courses in the STEM fields. That's incredible. So that is exactly the target range of students that I teach. And a lot of the things that I try to incorporate in my STEM classroom is robotics and programming, but there's so much out there and it's hard to weed through exactly what it is that you want kids to get out of it and what products out there are actually teaching the things that you want them to learn with robotics. And uh, let me just tell you, a lot of people have sent us different robots and things, letting us try it out and see if it would be great for our classrooms. And, and honestly, a lot of them fall short. <laughs> and yeah. at, at face value, you look at them and be like, oh, that's a cute robot, but is it really teaching anything? So I was yeah, sent we... this robot called Marty uh, that you have had experience with. And what is your role with Marty the robot? So like I said, I'm, I'm the head of North America. So uh, Robotical is a Scottish-based company. And um, after we were coming out of the pandemic in 2021, we brought Marty to the United States. And so I came on board to start uh, helping introduce Marty to educators, um, mainly through conferences and trade shows. So we've, we've been to ISTE and, and other state and regional conferences. Um, and we continue to do that to, to try to get Marty in the hands of educators. We also have a free trial program. So if any of your listeners are inspired by, by what we talk about today, um, they can request a free trial and we'll send Marty out for a couple of weeks and, and they can try it in the classroom with their students and see firsthand how the, the students interact with Marty and, and how they're excited about learning. Now, that's incredible. I think that's really key here because my first impression when I saw Marty, I was like, oh, that is a really cute looking robot. And sometimes when you see those kind of robots, you're like, but I bet it's just kind of gimmicky. It's like you tell it to do something, it makes noises and the kids are like, oh, cute. But does it actually teach anything? Probably not. But I, boy, was I surprised with Marty. This is an incredible product. 
And I don't say that about many things, but this robot, I feel like can be used for any age level and with a variety of different applications. Can you tell me a little bit more about what Marty does? Sure. And, and we've got to sometimes channel our, our inner, inner first and second grader, right? So it, <laughs> it's one thing to have an adult perception when we see Marty, but it's quite another to see these five to nine-year-olds experience Marty and the, the magic and just how they light up interacting with a humanoid robot. I think to your earlier point, you're exactly right. We, we kind of went through this phase where there was a lot of STEM toys. Mm -hmm. um, so things that were kind of made for the home, but then we'll, we'll bring them into the classroom and we'll see if they work as a learning tool where with Marty, you know, we're 100% focused on education and classroom instruction. Um, we have over 100 lesson plans uh, available for free on the website um, wow. across multiple age ranges and grade ranges. One of the great things about Marty is it is really designed to scaffold and scale as with the student as they go through their elementary and middle school progressions. Um, so maybe we can talk just a little bit about that. Um, so out of the box, we really want to harness that excitement um, with the students, but also with the educators. We know that sometimes coding and robotics can be a little intimidating for some educators. And so we're trying to get quick wins and not have to spend a day or two assembling a robot and putting it together and then learning how to program it and the frustration and the anxiety that comes in the classroom of having to do all that. So Marty That's comes pre-assembled out of the box. And um, before you even use a external device like an iPad or a Chromebook, Marty can be programmed with color cards. So we call it unplugged mode or screen-free mode. And so Marty has a color sensor in the left foot and it comes with a set of color cards that um, give Marty different commands. So if you've ever done the human robot experience in class where one student tells another student, take a step forward or take a step backwards, turn left, turn right. Um, we can do the same thing with Marty just using these color cards. Um, and so we get those quick wins. Students are learning sequencing about what steps they want Marty to take. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of debugging and troubleshooting along the way as maybe Marty doesn't do exactly what they want or, or maybe there was some confusion about is it my left or Marty's left. Um, and so there's the learning there around cardinal directions and left and right for the, the younger students. And then from there, we progress into our app, which is on tablets, so iPads and Android tablets, as well as can be accessed through a browser. So for Chromebooks um, or other computers through a Chrome browser or an Edge browser, Marty connects over Bluetooth like most robots do. Um, and then we have a whole progression within the app. So there's only one app, so you don't have to worry about, you know, what hub do I need to download? Is this the right one? Um, we start with what we call a remote control sequencer, which um, Marty responds directly to commands like a remote control car. Um, but then we also have invented a sequencer that starts to introduce the concept of step one, step two, step three, before we move to drag and drop programming. 
So this is just a, a, a simple build a sequence of steps and then have Marty execute that sequence. From there, we move into Marty Blacks Jr., um, which has a, we call it a horizontal grammar. So the blocks, it's drag and drop block programming with pictures and icons, very similar to Scratch Jr. And the blocks go left to right because at this age, for pre-readers, they're learning how to read. And so we want to make sure that we're not confusing them with top to bottom type of coding. We'll go left to right um, with the larger blocks and the pictures. Um, from there, as the students are able to read, we have a more traditional block-based programming um, with words, somewhere to Scratch Junior. And then for more advanced learning, we also support Python um, and text coding. So you can really see the whole range from pre-K to eighth grade on all these different coding environments and the opportunities for the students to interact with Marty. And I love that there's so many different features, which sounds really intimidating. And like you touched on though, it's not as overwhelming as it sounds to an educator. And the way I, I kind of tested that, because that's a big deal when you're trying to bring technology into the classroom, is how much onboarding is it going to require? Is it going, teachers don't get paid enough to work outside the home, <laughs> but, or work uh, at home outside the classroom. And they end up spending hours and hours preparing for their one lesson, having to learn all this technology that they'll use for maybe an hour. But so I, I took Marty the robot and I have a second grade daughter and I just handed it to her and said, figure it out. And instantly she could start playing with it. She figured and it was like as she started playing with it, she was like, oh, it can also do this. Oh, look what I can do with this. And I, I was like, well, well, show me, because how, how do you know how to do this? But like you were saying, it's so intentional about how you read from left to right and how the programming does that, that she was able to step through the unplugged coding part and then to the block programming and without any anything from me. And so I thought, well, this would be a great tool for teachers to bring in their classroom because they won't need to stress about understanding every detail. It's pretty intuitive. Yes. Yeah. And we've gone to great lengths to make it simple and intuitive, both within the app, but then the supporting lesson materials also include like presentations for the educators or videos that the educators can use, um, worksheets for the students and things like that. So trying to, to make it as simple as possible for educators to implement. Ah, I, I think you, you nailed it there. And one thing that I saw a feature that I've never seen on any other robot in the app was this kind of where you, you can make like a movie with the robot. You know what I'm talking about with the there's you can bring different characters on and you can program like a little cartoon of Marty and it's like they're giving this presentation but it's it's programming yeah, so the, within Marty Blacks, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. So there's um, sprites, which you can move the sprites around on the screen, but then you can also interact with Marty in the real world. And, and so you yes. can have both kind of modalities of a, a virtual sprite moving within the app and then the, the real physical robot moving in the class. So I really liked that because one of the problems with robotics in the classroom is they're not cheap. 
And so a lot of times educators can't afford to have more than just a few when they have a classroom of 30 kids. So what do all the other kids do while one person is programming the robot? Well, this is a great feature because everybody else can be programming in the, in the app and making the sprites and the robot move in certain ways. Yeah, the virtual Marty. And kind of figure out this virtual Marty before <laughs> they are able to get a turn with their hands on the actual robot. And I think that is a really fascinating way to get everybody involved mm -hmm. and also be able to, like in the real world of engineering, is demonstrate concepts before doing it on the expensive hardware. Yes. And that's something that I try to teach about how, like why we build prototypes, why we do things in a virtual space before we break things that are expensive. And so I really enjoyed uh, playing with that feature and exploring that concept. Yes, likewise, I, I, it's always good to, to test before you post a production, as we say in the engineering world. That's right. Yes. So what was kind of the inspiration behind Marty? Why why did Marty come to fruition? Yeah, so our founder of, of Robotical is Dr. Alexander Enoch, or he goes by Sandy. Um, he was a PhD student in Scotland, and he had always loved robotics, um, whether that was tinkering with Lego and Vex and things like that. Um, so it was just kind of his passion um, from an early age. Uh, and so he went on to, to study robotics and, and got a PhD in robotics and specifically around making robots walk. And so at, at the time, there were no humanoid style robots, walking robots um, in the market. And so he took his research from his PhD and um, he had a niece that was around five years old and was looking for ways, how do we inspire the next generation to learn engineering and coding and robotics? Um, and so from that, um, he created some prototypes for Marty. We did a crowdfunding campaign to raise a little bit of money to turn a research project into a commercial product. Uh, and then um, the rest is kind of history. So we've been around in Scotland and the UK for about seven years. Uh, and then a couple of years now in the U.S. Wow, that is really neat. It's hard to have somebody who's that high level be able to then articulate it and bring it down to have elementary kids be able to understand. So that's that's really neat. And I am especially impressed by having this humanoid robot that's on two legs that can have the dance moves that it yes. does and not fall over. That's really cool <laughs> there's I, I was talking in boston there's a high school teacher that as part of his robotics class he has the students design a walking robot and it is non-trivial you we, we kind of just take it for granted that as humans how we walk and we shift our weight and the muscles and things like that but to duplicate that in a robot is very complex and like you said, in order to to turn that into a very simple learning tool that gives the engagement and the excitement of a humanoid robot um, by kind of abstracting away and masking the complexity of the technology is really one of the shining stars for Marty. It really is. And I, I actually have 
my Marty right here. And I know our listeners can't see it right now, but we'll post links in the show notes. But something that got me really excited when I had Marty is just hearing the actuator and all these gears and everything move. And that's something that my own daughters were like, whoa, what's going on in there? I'm like, yeah, there's a lot going on in there. It's not, it's not easy to make something walk. Yes. And so I have a, I have an eight month old at home and just seeing her try to troubleshoot how to crawl and walk. I, we were talking about it, my other daughters and I, about how complicated it is for a human to walk, just like you said, and then have, how you translate that to a robot. So it's, done so well i just love it yeah and likewise marty is not completely encased in plastic where other kind of like i said some of the the stem toy style robots you don't really see what's going on inside so you don't have that opportunity to light that spark about okay how does this really work what's going on inside of marty the the head is really easy to pop open maybe we can post that also as a an image sure. that the, the students can easily see the, the printed circuit board and how the servos attached to the circuit board. And, and oh, here's the battery. So with, without the battery, Marty doesn't have any juice and can't do anything. And um, that's another really nice feature of Marty is that it has a removable battery. So how many times have educators forgot to, to plug in their robot overnight and like, oops, we can't do robotics today, but forgot to charge the robot. Um, so with Marty, uh, Marty comes with extra batteries and an external charging cradle so that teachers can have charged batteries ready to go at a moment's notice. So if Marty does start to get tired in the middle of the class, you can just take the battery out and put a new one in and keep going. That is a big deal. I've had to change days that we're doing robots because one class wears out the robots and then like... <laughs> have to charge it for another day before somebody else can use it. So that is a huge feature. Yeah. And I appreciate that about Marty. And although so, Marty does come pre-assembled, um, once you see Marty, it, it is capable of being disassembled down to the, the server servo level. Um, and, and we provide instructions on our website for how to build Marty from all the pieces. Probably not something you want elementary and middle school students to do, <laughs> um, but for maybe eighth graders in high school, you know, that could be a, another step on the engineering progression of, okay, now we've we've done all the computer science work, but how do the gears and, and the control board and how do all of this work together and the mechanics of the engineering and the rotation of the servers and, and things like that and the... Um, you're just balancing all that complexity of the, the robotic internals. Well, that's fascinating. You don't often hear of a tech company telling people to disassemble their product. Uh, so that, that's pretty <laughs> neat. I feel like they're, this is like a robot dissection lab that should, should be, be incorporated yeah. into, into high school curricula. For that's sure. a good way to, to phrase it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about your background, your journey and your career, because I believe your background is in engineering, correct? Yeah. So similar to you, I, I have an engineering degree. I, I Most of my um, career has been more on the, the business side of high-tech companies. So I, I started off 
using my my technical and engineering skills in companies like Texas Instruments and AMD and Dell Computers and really applying that technology and um, on the business side and on the customer side, similar to what we're talking about with Marty, of how do we take the technology and make it easy for educators? That's kind of my background professionally as well of how do we take the complexity of a microprocessor and make that easy for an end user of a computer or for uh, an engineer at a hardware company that's going to integrate that into their system. So kind of setting at that cusp between the technical side and having the background to understand the technology, but then also having the business side and the marketing side to understand the needs and wants of the customer and bring those two together. And then um, when I was at Dell, my own kids, I have two boys that were going from middle school into high school. And I was shocked that I live in Austin, Texas, which is a fairly high tech city. We have a, a good part of our economics are based on technology and software um, here in the city. And so I just took for granted as a parent that, of course, we're teaching computer science <laughs> in high school in, in the modern age. This is a, a modern skill that every student is getting access to. And, and as a parent, I was just shocked that the choice sheets came home and there was zero computer science and, and very little STEM even, no engineering, mm. um, just basic you know, science and mathematics. And so I started digging into that and asking around the school system and started volunteering locally. And then I looked like, wow, this is not a local problem. This is a state problem of the education system is really governed at the state level for us here in Texas. And so if, if we want to, to make change, then we've got to do it at the state level. And so I, I started a, an organization called CS for Texas to advocate for, for change across the state started volunteering with code.org. Um, they uh, had a curriculum for elementary school teachers and so started training the trainers for elementary school teachers to be able to take the code.org curriculum into the classroom. And then eventually I, I saw what the UK was doing and the BBC with the microbit. It's a, a little hardware board um, and they had invented this and given away a million of these devices to students in essentially middle school in the UK. And I'm like, oh, this is exactly what we need. You know, as the engineer, I saw, oh, the connection between hardware and software, because I think it's critically important for students to learn how the software and the hardware interact. They, mm. they kind of take hardware for granted now with their cell phones all that technology is so simple. There's an accelerometer in their cell phone, just like there's an accelerometer in Marty's head, but they never really think about the accelerometer when they're playing that game or, or they're moving their phone. And so how do we introduce the hardware and the sensors, which is really what the software is running on? And I thought Microbit just did that excellently. And so I'm like, we got to get this in the US. And so I called up the BBC and I called up oh, wow. uh, some of the partners. I'm like, how do we get this? In the, and remember, I was still at Dell. And so I was like, Dell could become a partner. Microsoft's a partner. We'll, we'll bring this to the US and we'll, we'll get it to all the middle school kids in the US. And, and uh, 
they're like, no, well, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But we, we are going to have a, a not-for-profit and we do want to come to the U.S. And so would you be interested in joining the nonprofit? And so that's really where my career, I, I, was, I went from a, a volunteer to a, a paid person being able to, to work in my passion and, and take all of the advocacy work that I'd been doing around computer science education and, and now do it as part of a, a career and a job. Uh, to bring the microbit to the U.S. And so we're doing the same thing now with Marty, um, bringing Marty to the U.S. and letting educators experience a, a new tool that that hasn't been available in the U.S. Well, that's incredible. Well, thank you for doing that on behalf of all the children in the U.S. Uh, to expose them to what it means to learn computer science and robotics. So you actually were part of developing the framework for computer science education, is that correct? Yeah, so, so that was one of my, my volunteer activities. So the Computer Science Teachers Association had been writing computer science standards, um, but some of the feedback that we were hearing was as states were starting to write their own standards, they wanted a, a guiding document to help inform their standard writing processes at the state level. And so um, Code.org with some other partners and CSTA uh, assembled a group of volunteers to then take on this project of, of writing the framework that then has not only informed the CSTA standards, but now is used across the United States and, and even other countries as a, a guidebook on the, the types of materials, the concepts and subconcepts that students should be learning at different grade bands. So it goes across all the K-12 grade bands um, and is broken up into seven main concepts and supporting subconcepts. That is really needed. And I'm sure that has been a huge impact in how students are now being able to learn the things that your kids may not have had exposure to uh, early on. I know I can also um, uh, see that with my own my own kiddos and my own life did not have that exposure. So what if you could do like a reader's digest version of what concepts or skills should kids be learning about technology or computer science when they're in elementary school? Yes. So I, I already mentioned the connection between hardware and software. I think that's really important. Um, but fundamentally, it's around computational thinking. And so I like to, to use the analogy of music versus band. So you mm. can teach music without using an instrument. But to really bring the music to life, it's great to have an instrument or a voice than to, to implement the music um, through some type of instrument. And, and so I think of coding and computer science and computational thinking kind of the same way. Computational thinking is like music. It's kind of language independent, but to really bring computational thinking to life, you, you need to program it. And so picking a programming language, um, just like there's lots of different musical instruments out there, there's lots of different programming languages out there. Some of it's text, some of it's block. It doesn't really matter. It's just implementing the computational thinking concepts. Oh, that's that's a really great way to think of that. Do you have a favorite programming language? 
blocks, honestly. They're <laughs> uh, pretty. They're a lot easier I, to manipulate. <laughs> I cringe when, when people kind of say, "Oh, that's not real programming." I'm like, "Yes, it is. It, it, it it's implementing the computational thinking, whether that's typed out as text or it's drag and dropped as a block. To me, it doesn't really matter." Um, and so I, I think block-based programming, partly because I'm focused on igniting that spark in students, mm -hmm. um, but even languages like Snap that um, is out of University of California, Berkeley, is a really complex language, but it's based on blocks. That's okay. Um, so, so yeah, I think in general, I would say block-based programming just needs to be a, a first-party <laughs> programming <laughs> language, and people just need to accept that. I, I think that's really encouraging, probably for most of our listeners who are not familiar with programming languages, but have things in their classroom maybe that use block programming, and maybe are feeling pressured to advance to other languages. Yeah. That you're okay, you're doing the right thing. Stick and, and with you block. See even with the, the new AP Computer Science Principles course at the high school level, that's language agnostic. Hmm. So even the college board is saying, okay, we're not going to pick a particular language. And some languages kind of come in style, go out of style, or, or, or maybe focus on a, a certain type of area like data science um, and artificial intelligence may lean towards a certain type of language versus others. Um, and so I think it's a real telling that for the AP computer science principles, no language was specified. That's a, that's a great insight. So you brought up artificial intelligence and I know there's a lot going on right now with artificial intelligence. I've played around a little bit with the chat GPT. Uh, so related to that and other future technology, do you have anything that you're excited about or uh, maybe words of warning about some of this as it relates to education? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely worried about deep fakes. Oh, all, yes. All over, you know, whether it's in education or, or in real life. And for those of you that may not understand, a, a deep fake is a, an, an image or a video that has been manipulated. It, it looks real, but is not. Um, it's just, so it's taking what used to be kind of Photoshop editing <laughs> and putting it on steroids to where you, you, the user may not be able to discern if that's true or not. And so there's the whole ethics side of AI that we need to be educating students about in general, just um, the biases and the potential impact like with ChatGPT. Um, but just in a general, what, what AI is going to do um, in our society and, and preparing students as citizens for the potential impact, both positive and negative, for artificial intelligence and, and eventually intelligent machines um, in general. I, I think from an educational standpoint, that's the, the new frontier on what students need to learn from a computational thinking standpoint. So there's already a, an initiative called AI for K-12 that's writing similar kind of guidelines and framework around what students in different grade bands should be learning as far as artificial intelligence. 
And then I'm really excited about machine learning on hardware. And so hmm. there's ways using Microbit and Arduino and, and even Marty to some extent to, to use the sensor data, like from the accelerometer or a microphone or a camera to be able to do machine learning for image de detection or keyword spotting um, or gesture recognition. And so there's some new tools that are coming out that make that easy to bring into the classroom. Um, and I'm working with some folks at Harvard University that has a, an edX course more for college level and professionals, but how do we bring some of those high level concepts down into K-12? So if there was an educator that wants to learn more about those types of things or where to hear about the emerging technologies, where should they go? That's a great question. So there's a, a few different resources. The AI, AI for K-12 is one. Um, there's a teacher in North Carolina has a website called AI for Teachers that have some resources. And, and then specifically are, around using hardware and embedded computing with um, machine learning, go to tinymledu.org. So tiny machine learning, tinymledu.org. And then from there, go into the, the K-12 section, and I've got some links to, to various resources. Great. Well, thank you for that. We will definitely link those websites and resources in our show notes of this podcast. So you can check them out. And I will definitely be researching to learn more about how I can communicate all these really uh, deep concepts to elementary kids. And I so appreciate people like you who are able to dumb it down for all of us, but it's not really dumb. It's, it's training us up to be the yeah. next generation that's going to do some big things with this incredible technology. And putting us on the path, right? Taking the, the baby steps. It's a, a crawl, walk, run kind of strategy. So let's make it easy for, for everyone to crawl and then students and educators will eventually walk and run. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share that we have not touched on? Yeah, I think you know, my nirvana is as AI does mature and, and intelligent machines kind of become more pervasive that we can move away from this factory education kind of model and get more towards an indiv individualized learning kind of model. So, so we, we know we have IEPs for special needs students today, but imagine at some point in the future where we're able to kind of disaggregate the grades and the standards and this assembly line kind of model that we're on today and move to a, let's teach each individual student how they learn and use the technology around the student to enable them to learn in the way that best suits them on the timeline and the path that fits them. And so I think to me, that's the vision for education long-term of how do we use the technology as an enabler to then provide that personalized level of instruction. And that is something that a lot of teachers are being told to do, but there's not enough of them to be able to help every student in that way. And that is a 
great application of all of this technology that I'm looking forward to in the future, for sure. And if there was a student out there who may be listening to this and is into robotics or machine learning or artificial intelligence or programming and wants to do what you are doing, what path would you recommend? Is there a certain degree that they might want to pursue? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I'm hesitating a little bit because I I think I I don't like this idea of just go get a good degree. I I think Mm -hmm. it's much more important as you frame the question of get a degree in what? And so I think I would start there of, okay, where are your interests and your passions lie? If it's around robotics, then yes, go get the skills in robotics, you know, whether that's a two-year degree or a four-year degree are learning on your own. Um, I, I think you're going to see more corporations, and we're already kind of seeing this from the likes of Amazon and Tesla um, around robotics, is they're very focused on robotics, you know, start to have kind of their own trade schools or vocational schools to train for the skills that they want. Um, so I, I think it's really more important for the student to think about what they enjoy, what they want to do, just like Sandy, our CEO, wanted to be in robotics. And so he pursued that path. So what's, and it's hard, I know, for a a teenager potentially to to know what the end goal is. But if you're passionate about space or you're passionate about boats or you're passionate about video games, then there are professions and jobs on all of those different areas and then research and talk to people in that industry and then research what skills do they need to have in order to to pursue that passion. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Hal, for joining us and sharing your wisdom and expertise and a little bit about Marty. Teachers, if you're listening and you don't know about Marty, go check them out. Check out the links in our show notes. I would love for you to experience what I have with this incredible robot and bring robotics, programming, computer science to your students. Thank you so much, Hal. You're very welcome. And don't hesitate to sign up for the free trial. Awesome. See y'all next time. We want to take a second to give a big thank you to listeners out there who've been tuning in to the STEM Space podcast. We love what we do. We love sharing content, the latest and greatest of STEM education and tips and tricks to help you to teach STEM. If you have been listening to us and would love to support us, please leave us a review so we can keep sharing amazing resources and content. Thank you.